Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the latest episode of the Irish Balance podcast. If you're a new listener, you're very welcome to the series. You've got loads of episodes to catch up on, including today's. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. And I'm delighted you're joining us for another episode this week. My name is Kira. if you don't know who I am. I'm an Irish girl and a qualified medical doctor. And I'm really passionate about public health and preventative medicine, particularly how our lifestyles affect our health. And one key way that occurs is through the food we eat. And that is going to be the topic of today's episode, but from a different perspective to the nutritional episode we did with dietitian Maeve Hannon a few weeks back. I use my content to show you guys how we can empower ourselves to live happy, healthy lifestyles full of balance. And I think a love for cooking is something that I would really love to try and empower you guys to develop through this podcast and the content on my blog. So I'm really delighted today to be joined by a friend of mine, Fiona Staunton, who is a Ballymaloo trained chef. Um, with also a background in education from Trinity College in Dublin. And I met Fiona recently at one of her, her very famous cookery demos, and she runs the very successful food blog and business, Fiona's Food for Life, the ethos of which I love. But I'm going to let you tell you about, let her tell you about yourself, about herself. So welcome, Fiona. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks, Kira, for having me on. Not at all. My absolute pleasure. I know we were chatting about this after I got to um, experience one of your incredible dem- and demonstrations in your house recently. Um, and I'd love you to tell our listeners about you and your background and how you came to set up Fiona's Food for Life. OK, um, brilliant. So I'm a, a mom of two kids. I'm an eight year old girl and a 13 year old boy. And uh, as I say, my business is Fiona's Food for Life. So I was always interested in food, even from a teenager. And I used to start doing work experience in a local hotel kitchen from the age of about 13 or 14. Um, Mm. And always thought I wanted to run my own catering business. So I wanted to get a degree under my belt, first of all, because you couldn't do a degree in culinary arts in Ireland at that time. Okay. So I decided to do a degree in home economics teaching. So that was Mm. a four year degree through Trinity. And after that, I had set myself up to go straight down to Ballymaloo and to do their three month certificate program. And having qualified there, I then worked for a year in Ballymaloo House as a chef under Rory O'Connell. Wow. And then set up my catering business for a few years. And then uh, 2001, headed to Australia, lived there for the best part of eight years and came back here right in the recession in, in April 2008. Oh, wow. Um, and then full time mum for a good while. And then about four years ago, I started off um, with my cookery demos because I really love helping people, particularly around food, when they maybe they're stuck in a rut and they want to cook something different. Or if somebody is allergic to or, or it doesn't suit them to eat certain ingredients but they're really missing those type of foods which classically would have those ingredients, I can help them create those meals. So that's really what I, what I started to do. And, and my ethos is really to, to cook from scratch. Mm. So the whole aim is to ditch the processed foods and cook from scratch, even though you might have minimal time to spend in the kitchen. I absolutely love that. And I know the the ethos with your brand and your blog is cook, eat, nourish. And I think they're all such really important concepts because they are a little bit different, even though they're all interlinked. Um, and I think you're, what I kind of struck me the first time we met was your desire to help people cook, but like to do it in a way that's individual to them. And as you say, circumvent the challenges that they might think they face in cooking, whether it's actually finding the right ingredients or knowing where to start or what recipe to use, or as, as you've said as well, you know, how to maybe get around ingredients they maybe can't tolerate or can't have for whatever reason. Yeah, and also when you've got uh, 
families and <laughs> trick eaters trying to please yeah. <laughs> everybody and and get the kids involved so i'd be very much from a a young childhood age getting them involved in the whole food choice and you know the basic um background behind food and nutrition mm. And did you find, I mean, was it that desire to help people at the individual level that made you move into the area of sort of home and workplace cookery demonstrations? Was that your motivator, do you think? Yeah, definitely, I think so. And also seeing, you know, the whole obesity crisis and and what mm. is, like when you're in the supermarket, what's in people's trolleys and, and what's um, the special offers that are always on in the supermarkets where they're all, the, you know, the processed foods and, you know, convenience yeah. foods, that type of thing. So it's just to try and educate and empower people to to do it that's really what what got me going absolutely I and mean, i couldn't agree more i know it's something that during my masters over the last year in public health we've done quite a lot on the um rapid changes that we've seen in our food environment and i actually think that it, that, that really gets such little airtime i think a lot of the content we've seen maybe on social media has been about individual food choices and maybe placing so much responsibility on the individual and I know we do make our own food choices but I think we do definitely have to recognize the role that the environment we're in plays and recognizing you know as you say what is usually on offer maybe isn't always what we what is best for us from the dietary perspective I know in the UK they've been a little bit more strict about regulating some of those promotions than we have here but I think it's definitely something that is a, a really important talking point Definitely. And, and what's seasonal. And even if you look at the bottom of your your bill when you're in the supermarket and you see how much of that you've actually spent on Irish food. Mm, it's, that's uh, a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. And there is that's very interesting, actually, because there is a lot of chat. I'm sure you're, you're no stranger to a lot of chat about eating sustainably now, um, particularly since this year. I think it's probably when it's gotten the most airtime. And um, we've seen a lot of publications about the impact of meat and other food groups on the environment and eating local and seasonally is something that's definitely come out as one of the tips people often mention when they talk about maybe eating for better for our own health and for that of the environment too. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about the Ballymilio experience because I'm sure it was an absolute, um, this was entirely unique, but um, how did you find it? You were there for three months, was it? Yeah, so it's a three-month certificate course that they do, and I did it straight after my degree from um, from Trinity. So I already had a lot of the basics down. So your basic cooking skills, your your filleting fish, your making sauces, your chopping carrots or, or or onions, and all of those different skills. You're making pastry, etc. So mm -hmm. I was able to hit the ground running when I got there. So you would have a lot of people who were doing the course who were maybe on a gap year and just really wanted to to learn some of these skills and maybe go off and be a um, a chalet cook in the ski season etc but when I got down okay. there having got the basics I was really able to absorb all the other things you know like you're you're getting the eggs from the farm you're picking all of your vegetables from um the tunnel you're seeing exactly how peppers courgettes aubergine seeing exactly how everything grows when it grows when it's available you're checking orders when they come in you know say from the mm. butchers or the fishmongers so you're just really experiencing absolutely every side of the the food um the food chain from where it comes to yeah. actually being served up etc and then all the the good environmental things in terms of composting etc and you know it really really was a, a brilliant experience and i think as well 
to have the the restaurant nearby meant that every dish that you did, you were able to understand how it could be adapted into a restaurant menu. Like, say, for example, a fish dish that we would do, which is a really, really nice fish. It's lightly poached. It's not a very strong fish, so if people aren't mad on fish, it's it's quite a good one to have. And we would serve it with a lovely um, buttery cream sauce with red peppers. And and that would be a main course dish, say, in Ballymaloo House. But then you could adapt that and have that as a starter dish where it's more thinly sliced and it's also served with a red pepper vinaigrette. So it's that little bit lighter. So for okay. each of these things, you were able to see all the different varieties and how they would fit into to different menus. It was mm. great. And did you live down there for three months or do you travel up and down? I just no. my own personal curiosity. No, when you do the course, you're in houses with everybody else there. So uh, a lot of the time you'd share a room. And you're just totally absorbed in the whole thing. And everybody's got duties of, you know, setting up the kitchens or clearing the kitchens or, you know, taking out the comp. Everyone's got roles that you've got to do. And then every evening you go back to your chalet and they're gorgeous little um, chalets. And you would take leftover food from the afternoon demonstration. So quite often you wouldn't have to cook. But then you would have to do a huge amount of um, paperwork and filing and studying afterwards. So you'd need to categorize as you go. If you didn't categorize your recipes every day as you went at the end, you would just I saw some people who left it to the end and it was just a nightmare. So every day I go in and I would classify every every recipe, say whether it was a a starter or a meat dish or a fish dish or a gluten free or ideal for big numbers or whatever. So by the time I left, I had these volumes and volumes of recipes, but they were easily categorized and color coded so I could see at an instant what the dish was about. Wow that's absolutely fascinating. I love that you got such an experience of the food chain because I think probably it's something many of us myself included probably don't think about you know we pick up things our food chain begins at the supermarket if that makes sense. Yeah, and once a week we had a tour, so or maybe it was once a fortnight, but we went, say, to Frank Hederman's and we saw how salmon was smoked naturally. Wow. Um, We went to um, a cheese place to see exactly how the uh, cottage industry cheese were made. We, uh, you know, so we did went to the English market in Cork and, you know, with all sorts of different uh, talks and tours and practical experiences. And then if you wanted... On a Sunday, you would go and um, work for a day in a restaurant. So you could get wow, that experience. Okay. Very, very rounded experience. Absolutely. Um, I think that just sounds so interesting. I got to go to Ballymaloo for the first time ever a couple of uh, months ago, actually. We went down just before, um, just at the start of March, I think, um, got to meet Rachel Allen. It was it was really, really lovely experience. It's absolutely gorgeous down there. And they really do emphasize that farm to table approach it's really it was really really insightful it was great and there's so many opportunities afterwards like there's there's a big shortage of chefs in in the industry you know there was so if someone's looking for a job it's it's a good industry to get into in that way there, there's plenty of work but when you go down and do the course it's so highly thought of all over the world that you can get a job being a chalet host you know for a ski season no problem you know there's tons of jobs available and you could pick and choose wherever you wanted to go and travel with it so it really is a good uh, qualification to have under your belt a currency qualification that's what they call my master's program they say, currency <laughs> you can take it everywhere <laughs> <laughs> and i could we chat a little bit about australia because i say that as a person who's never been but it is top of my bucket list places to go and visit um in particular melbourne i've heard is is really city that I would dive right into as a foodie but I would love to hear about your experience in Australia our listeners some of them might be in Australia some of them might have been before but 
what I've been told is that the food scene is very, very different to here. And I was curious what your perspective was on that. Sure. Well, now, unfortunately, I'm back just over 10 years. So it mm. changed in the last 10 years. But when I was there, um, I suppose the first thing that struck me was the international food side of things. So there would be every um, suburb would have a Lebanese restaurant and a Thai restaurant and a whole pile of, you know, there just really was such a variety of food. So I had never really been exposed to Lebanese, shall we say, before. And they yeah. would make a lovely peed, which is a really soft kind of ciabatta style bread and hummus and baba ganoush and really, really tasty uh, dishes that I hadn't experienced before. The Thai restaurants on practically every street corner, you will go in and get a dish cooked from scratch with lots of vegetables and, you know, your chicken or your fish or whatever it might be. And it used to cost us about $7. It was really wow. expensive. And it was um, a lot of BYO. So you get your nice bottle of wine and you'd meet your friends. That's the other thing I found about it very social. Yeah. So in all of the parks and playgrounds, they have barbecue units. Oh, wow. so okay. you bring along your um, your food that you want to barbecue. And so often for, let's say, kids birthday parties. Now, you see, the thing is, you can rely on the weather over there. But for kids birthday parties, mm. you would arrange to meet at, say, Herbert Park. We're going to meet at Herbert Park and um, you would have maybe 10 adults and 12 kids and everyone would bring a dish. It was very social and community based. Mm. So you'd all bring a dish and then someone might bring the, the meats and veg or whatever for the barbecue and you just press the button and off you go. You use the barbecue and um, yeah, it was great That's that amazing. to do all of that. And I used to live in um, Manly and I would get the ferry over to the CBD. And when you would come back on the ferry, they had a, a Thai stall there in the ferry terminal and you would just pick four or five fresh veg and your protein and they would do, do up whatever type of noodle dish or whatever you would want. And okay. it was less than a tenner, beautiful, made fresh for you. It was um, it was really nice. But the in general, the food was fresh and light and vibrant they'd kind of be the words that I would tend to to use because I guess the climate's that little bit warmer yeah yeah that's something that I've definitely been told is that just it is more like fresh is definitely a word that's come up more than once in conversation and that I suppose that their environment engineers healthier lifestyle choices in a way that ours doesn't to the same extent and now as you say there is the weather factor but I think we can definitely learn a lot from that I also would I love the point you made about the social aspect of eating because I think that's some again similar to how our food environment affects our food choices I think the social aspect of eating and, and doing that in company does not get enough airtime and can be a little bit forgotten when it's so easy to have maybe three or four different technology devices distracting us yeah and they had another thing that I thought was lovely there was the food courts they did them properly so okay. you would go to if you were meeting someone at a shopping center, you could all sit in the same area, but one person could go and get their vegan salad. Another person could go and get their burger and chips if they wanted. Somebody else would get the Thai. Somebody else would get the Lebanese. But you all then sat down together with your your different food. Now, I know it's okay. starting to come on a bit here in Ireland, but it mm. really was that you could make you could still socialize and make those health choices or food choices that suited you personal to you yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. and it was um yeah I thought that was that was great 
Well, I've heard that we're about 10 years behind them. So that probably makes sense in what you're saying now and what we're seeing here. <laughs> Sorry, you were, you were going to say something there. I think I interrupted you. No problem. The other thing was about the fresh produce that they have. And um, mm. they have an amazing fish market. And at Christmas time, you've got queues out the door like we might have for your turkeys. They have it for the, the fish market. But um, say, for example, with the fruit and veg, they very much produce sell only what is produced in Australia. Okay. So we, unfortunately, we're limited with our climate here. So we're never going to grow mm -hmm. bananas or pineapples here. So, so they're always imported and you've got all the air miles on those. But I remember in Australia, uh, there was a banana crisis one time up in Queensland. And my son was just starting to, um, starting to wean him onto regular food. And bananas are fantastic for that. Okay. But bananas were so expensive because the crop was ruined in Queensland they wouldn't oh. import from Costa Rica or wherever because they tried to protect their own food I industry okay. and their own farmers. So mm. it just meant the supply was much, much shorter. So therefore, the cost was much, much higher for that mm. period. But then it recovered again. Okay. I they, see. Just, they don't import. They just use what they can produce themselves in mm. the veg. But then the climate is a lot better. But I really like that side of it. Yeah, that is. It's a really, really nice ethos to take, I think. And have you taken any of, like, I suppose, the food experience you had over there back to your cooking in Ireland or what you do now in your demonstrations? Well, I suppose it's all mixed in now. I would have a lot of, um, you know, Thai or Asian influence. Uh, mm. And that would have really come from from my time there. Mm. Um, or yeah. maybe just being a bit more comfortable with international cuisines, I suppose, probably is what it sounds like you took from it. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. And then I suppose what I want, what I'd love our listeners to get from this episode, aside from feeling hungry, because that's exactly how I feel right now, listening to all the talk about hummus and baba ganoush. <laughs> um, I would love them to get a sense from this podcast of the fact that cooking is something, even if you're not, you know, at the moment, a big fan of it, it's something that we need to make seem more accessible and just make it seem a bit more feasible in a busy day to day. And more important, most importantly, enjoyable, um, because I think, there's very little bad sides we can obtain from cooking from scratch. I think it's probably only benefits. Um, and it's something that we definitely do need to be doing more as a nation. So I suppose to kind of start that flow of, of conversation, I'll ask you about your cookery demos. And, and you've kind of alluded to this already, but what made you go into that specific area? Because it is quite a, a niche area, I suppose. It is. I, I Look, I love helping people. Um, and particularly when it's it's anything around food. And I wanted as well to find work for me that would fit in with my family and what's going on in our life to try and get that whole work-life balance. So sure. when I used to run my catering business, it was very antisocial. So, you know, you're working long hours and it was usually at the weekends, etc. cetera. Uh, and it was also very physical. So you, there was an awful lot of lifting of boxes, etc. So I wanted, I didn't want to go back into to that field. I wanted to go in a way that I could make a difference and I could use my skills and share my passion, but within the timings of, you know, ideally Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, yeah. I started off doing it in the mornings, doing the cookery demos in the mornings, thinking that if kids were at school, the mums might come to the demonstrations. But then sure. what tended to happen, most of my client base were working parents. Okay. So I started doing more um, evening demos. 
Mm. Um, and that's really it's just and it's when you get the feedback and somebody says, oh, I love your your chowder. We do that once a week. It's absolutely fantastic. Or the power bars are a lifesaver or, you know, the toasted seeds are just brilliant because it stops me picking when I come in. It's a healthy snack I can have while I make my food. And when I get all of that feedback, it just really yeah. makes it more worthwhile to, to keep going and um, helping more people. OK, and. Um- yeah, I think that's lovely. I think one of the most, I think I said this recently in a talk I gave, but being able to marry what you're passionate about and what you are skilled at, I think is definitely, hopefully usually a recipe for success. And that sounds like you found it in what you currently do, which is really awesome to hear. Um, I'd love to know what the biggest challenges some of the attendees of your demos um, you know, mentioned are that, that they mentioned to you regarding cooking, you know, whether that's at work or it, whether you're doing a workplace demo or you're doing a home demo. You've mentioned, obviously, one of the big challenges, particularly for parents, I'm sure, and I say this is someone who doesn't have children, but um, is, you know, working and cooking around working. Yeah, I mean, the biggest one definitely here is time. Mm. Um, so people just don't have the time to spend in the kitchen. And then it can be the other side would be bit of a vicious circle that you're just too tired to come in when you to cook when you come in from work but the problem then is if you haven't cooked really nutritious food from scratch you're not going to get enough energy to keep you going in between each of the meals so it's, okay. it's a lot of it is around what I would try and convey is of being organized and that's probably one yeah. of my biggest skills is, is trying to be organized um and healthy snacks. That's the other side that people find they just they need inspiration for healthy snacks. So yeah. if you can be organized, like I, I see you do it most weeks, you make your healthy snacks for the week of the weekend when you have the time, which is great. Mm. So then when you're on the go, you know, you have something healthy that you can take with you. Yeah. Um, like I have a cookery demo coming up for um, a company and they want me to do it for their salespeople on the road because okay. Yeah. You pull into the petrol station, you are just tempted with and so many um, low GI, sugary foods, mm. high GI, sugary foods. Yeah. And if you can make a number of things at the weekend or when you have quiet time and then have them ready, you can yeah. take them before you get really hungry and just, you know, have your regular foods. And it's going to be so much better nutrient wise and for your brain and your energy. And, you know, it really, really works if you you can be organized in in that way and one of the other challenges I find is a a lack of variety so they say oh I'm sick of doing spaghetti bolognese or I'm sick of doing this I just need something a little bit different so a lot of the Mm. times people who come to the cookery demos are well able to cook you know and have been Mm. cooking for years but it's just trying to break that monotony so that it's something a little bit more um a little bit more exciting and a little bit different that they can they can make and build into their routine and I think as well, when you, there's a great sense of achievement. I see it with the kids in particular, if they cook something from scratch. Yeah. That if you, you do, it's a great sense of, look, I made this, you know, I, I made that from scratch. And also you get an appreciation of the ingredients that go into the food. So say, mm. for example, kids love, tend to love brownies, but there is so much sugar in brownies. Mm. But when they actually go and make it themselves and see how much sugar goes into it, then they have a better understanding of, wow, okay, so we'll just have a small piece of this, etc. And even if um, one of the things that I do in the schools when I do the cookery demos is shortbread. So shortbread is three ingredients, flour, butter and salt. Mm. Then I get them to start thinking about um, their favorite biscuits, say, in the supermarket and the number of ingredients that are on those biscuits 
and how many of them they would actually recognize as things like flour, butter and sugar, you know, all of the right. E numbers yeah. and all these other things. So, yeah, I just think that it's um, it can add so many different things. And even if each cookery demo, you just come away with one thing then you can build on that. Mm. And I think it just empowers people to 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 create something themselves. I love that. I think that's great. I think one of the those factors you've mentioned, uh, Fiona, are just so important. Like they're just things that people say to me all the time too. Things like not having enough time and being tired is is definitely one of the most common ones. And as you say, it's a really important point. It is a vicious cycle that if we feel really tired, we don't feel like cooking and we don't make the best food choices, then we don't feel our best. And then it is that sort of um I suppose circular um cycle circular cycle um, but it really does it really does affect one affects the other you know um and what I'd like to kind of bring us to uh based on those challenges you've you've said to us are the most common is to be a bit more food specific about it because one thing that you did in the demonstration I was at was you really simplified like particular ingredients that I had found quite challenging to cook well things like lentils for example um or quinoa I always overcook it but not anymore thank god um and I wanted to first of all ask you what sort of recipes you do in your demonstrations and I guess what your favorite ingredients to cook with are that are maybe more time friendly easy to find and are kind of I suppose um something everyone can can maybe get in the supermarket yeah sure um so the first type of things that I would do would be based on time. So it would either be people who want to cook in less than 20 minutes. So they want to come in the door and from start to finish, they would have the dinner ready. And that's why in my demonstrations, I don't even have onions chopped or things peeled. I do all I have is everything weighed out and I show mm. you from start to finish so you can see how long. And the other time one would be that you can make an advance or you can put together and put it in say a slow cooker or something like that for the day so it's just being conscious of of the time little spent time engaged in the kitchen cooking really um the second factor that i'd look at would be whole foods so there's no processed foods and it would all be whole food cooking mm -hmm. uh, the third one would be seasonal so this time of year we're coming into you know strawberries asparagus beetroot lovely salads all of those type of things so that it's the Irish seasonal produce that we're working with rather than okay. as far as possible. Yeah. Um, and then multi-use. So if you were to have, say, for example, something simple like a, a nice roasted veg, you would be able to double that up and you could use it for, uh, say, the middle layer of a lasagna or the, you could put it with goat's cheese and pasta or you could put it on the side of, of a protein like a piece of fish. So okay. I would try and give you as much variety and multi-use within the dish so you're still making a minimal effort in the kitchen. That's brilliant. Yeah. And, and then, Yeah, sorry, you keep going. No, but in terms of the food that I would work with, I think eggs, organic eggs are fantastic. So I would always make sure that I get organic when I'm getting the eggs. Um, you know, an omelette or a scrambled egg or there's so many different things that you can do with an egg and it's, it's the ultimate fast food, healthy mm -hmm. fast food. Uh, fish, I think sustainable Irish fish. Um, I would try and have fish two to three times a week of which at least one is oily fish. Uh, seeds, I love seeds. I just think they can add a great... Um, you know, nutrient kick to, to any dish. So either as a snack, I would often have the toasted seeds, great brain food for people doing exams at the moment, mm -hmm. or to put seeds on, on top, nuts and seeds, like a, a ducka mix, say, on top of steamed vegetables. So just giving the extra nutrients and a, and a bit of umph. And then the other one is the seasonal veg as well, working working with those. So they would be my um, 
yeah, my go-to favorite ingredients. Can you explain dukkah? Because I know you explained it to me at the demo, but it was a food I'd never come across until a recent, well, about a year ago now, trip to Amsterdam. And it was on the top of something that I'd ordered and I had no idea what it was. Um, And I know yourself and a friend of mine have really nice recipes for it. But I think a lot of people listening might not have a clue what it is, which I didn't for for a long time. What is dukkah? Okay, so I first came across it in Australia um, and it's kind of a Middle Eastern um, origin. And basically, it's nuts and spices mixed together, but it's whole spices. So you'd have like coriander seeds, cumin seeds, fennel seeds, and they're all mixed together. So you could have, you know, you might have a macadamia ducker, you might have an almond one, you might have a hazelnut one. So it doesn't matter. You, you can mix it all about and then you might go for more spicy flavors, etc. So basically what you're doing is you're dry roasting your whole spices and your nuts and you will give your nuts a coarse chop and then you mix it all together and you will keep it in a jar it keeps for like several weeks and you can just sprinkle it on on top of things so in say a Lebanese restaurant if you had the peed which is a really soft white bread I was speaking about you would Mm. dip that in a nice extra virgin olive oil and then dip that in the dukkah and you have a lovely topped really really nice kind of appetizer as such um, wow. I sprinkle it sometimes on top of toast, but I think on, on top of steamed greens with a bit of olive oil and uh, the duck, it can just bring a steamed green to a whole different uh, flavor level, you know, and I'll often put it if I'm serving a bowl of hummus, mm. I would put it on one half of the, the bowl. So then if somebody wants to dip extra, take extra duck with their crudite or whatever they can, or if they just want the plain hummus, they can. I'm such a fan of hummus. I think it is I don't think it's an underrated food. I think it has a lot of fans, but I just think it's one of the nicest things that we can learn to make at home. And even if we don't make it at home, it is a really, really nutritious food. It's really, really tasty. But you pointed out something to me about the difference between homemade hummus and store-bought, which I had, I kind of was half aware of, but I guess hadn't really thought about. And you were pointing out the, the major difference in oil content. I think that was yeah. the same time. So most of the ones that I've looked at in the supermarkets have 40% oil content. And wow. that's really to preserve it and for consistency. And you yeah. don't need it. So in the recipe I have now, it'll, it only takes a minute to make, I would say, in the food processor. You put your strained chickpeas in with tahini, which is your sesame seed paste, lemon juice, garlic and salt. And you whiz it up and you have your hummus instantly. Now, it'll mm. only keep for about three days because there isn't any oil there to preserve it. But it's just when you're buying one in the shop and 40 percent of it is oil, I'm not so sure that it's, it's the healthiest choice. Compared to making it at home, absolutely. And in case anyone isn't sure where we can get tahini, um, it is actually in most supermarkets at this stage, I think. I've definitely seen Tesco do their own version, which uh, is sometimes less expensive than branded ones. But foods like that that maybe we would never have heard of in Ireland, they do seem to be seeping into the mainstream. Definitely. You can usually get tahini in most of the supermarkets, but the cheapest place by far is to go to one of your Asian supermarkets. And you will get a massive jar of tahini for the same price as a small jar in your own supermarket. Good tip. Thank you very much. That is brilliant. Everyone be going out to buy tahini. I could eat that by the spoon. It's terrible. I have to be very careful around myself. Um, I'd love So one thing I get asked a lot is um, meal preparation friendly recipes or quick and easy recipes. And I know that is um, a lot of what you share as well. And I'd love if from I suppose from your experience, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe a go to recipe that you have found helpful for you, but also in your demos are proved very popular with with people for maybe, let's say, breakfast, lunch, dinner and a snack if that's not too much to ask of you yeah no problem um so for breakfast I suppose there's there's possibly two I'd mention there one I make kind of a what is a a nut porridge so this would be someone who would be um maybe going for the gluten-free and just counting all of their macros 
and it's where you would have a whole pile of nuts and seeds chopped up or, or blitzed up and then I would mix it with some cinnamon and then I would serve that with um, milk kefir and some berries and that's a really nice breakfast on the go so if I'm on the road that's what I would tend to have mm. um, but the other one that's really nice is and the recipes on my website it's the banana and blueberry pancakes so it's great at say the weekend with the family mm. and it's made using oats that you just blitz up into like a flour Okay. And then you mix together. You can use, because um, I would work with people who are following all sorts of different uh, paths, nutritional paths. So you would mm. work, you can use a nut milk if, if that's your case. So I would tend mm. to use full fat milk, but mm. it depends on what you use your milk and your a banana. You blitz it all up and then you fry them into little, um, you know, thick picklets. And then you put um, your blueberries into it and flip them over. So you actually have the blueberries in the middle of the pancake. And then I serve it with caramelized bananas and a light um, natural yogurt and it's a really really tasty uh, breakfast to have fantastic I think oats are probably one of my favorite ingredients there's something I always say to people if I'm asked what my kind of staples are but definitely oats I think they're such a great source of slow release energy and they just they pack so much in them as a food and they really can be used as you say you can blitz them into flour for baking you can use them on their own as overnight oats or porridge I think they're a fantastic ingredient and they're naturally gluten-free, Kira, but the problem is that in the processing, uh, in the factories where the oats are processed, they can't guarantee uh, cross-contamination with other gluten products. Okay. So if you're celiac, you'd, you'd obviously need to make sure that it's a certified mm. uh, gluten-free oats. But if you're just avoiding um, gluten for whatever reason, the normal oats are, are fine. Okay, brilliant. Good to know. Good to know. They're my one of my favourites. Um I so yeah that's okay that's breakfast what, what would be your go-to for lunch okay so it's one I've been doing for a while but um it's really really popular it's dal so red lentil dal um okay. I know I have a video up on, on how to make that as well and I make my husband has it for his lunch every single day so I would make it at the weekend um lentils are low GI slow release of energy and it's a traditional Indian dish. So traditionally, they would serve a curry with rice and then dal on the side. So oh. it's in between a curry and a soup. But I tend to serve it like a soup. Okay. And I cook up the um, lentils with some onions, ginger, garlic, some spices. Um, the recipe again is on my website. Um, tomatoes. And you just leave it simmering there for about 20 minutes. And it keeps in the fridge for a good few days. It freezes really, really well and it travels well and you'll notice if you have that for your lunch instead of say a salad or a wrap it'll keep you full till the evening time mm. and it's it, yeah it really is quite tasty or if you're the type of person who maybe does a workout later in the day and you, you need a really good substantial supper a bowl of that is absolutely fantastic i think lentils again definitely another staple they're very cheap and yeah. are really really great source of plant protein loads of fiber like loads and loads of fiber in them and like you say, do definitely keep you full. I, you're, I'm often really surprised at how um, satiating they are as a food. And I have tried your dal. It is absolutely delicious. <laughs> Thank um, you. And again, the lentils are really good value in the Asian supermarket. And that's where I would buy all of my spices as well. I find they're um, much fresh. Now, I would go through a fair bit of spices, but they're a lot fresher and better value than the small bottles you would buy in your supermarket. Okay. I think one thing you definitely did for me was take the perceived fat because they perceived because that was my perception of it but making a dal with lentils I don't know why but again you took out that feeling that it was a chore and made it um just seem much more feasible so when I actually gave it a go I thought oh actually this this is 
I knew it was tasty but I just felt like it was a lot of work and actually it wasn't it was just about um maybe breaking down the steps and and um, seeing it differently which I was very appreciative of uh, and what about dinner what would be your favorites from a, a quick and easy perspective well one of my really popular ones is the uh, tomato based chowder so I find oh. that um Fish is really, really good in Ireland and it drives me mad when you would go around the country to, to different ports and things and you would get a bowl of thick, creamy soup with a bit of little bit of fish in it. So mm. I developed a recipe that has, uh, it almost is a one pot. So you do steam the potatoes separately, but it's got potatoes and courgette and mm-hmm. um, tomatoes, onions, celery, and then you've got all of your fish in there. So I would tend oh, to mix okay. a white fish and a salmon. I tend to use the organic farm salmon and then a natural smoked fish. So not the one that's really orangey because that's got a, a, a dye and it's chemically smoked, but something like a natural smoked haddock. Okay. And um, I put the chorizo, chopped chorizo into it as well because I find the kids love fishing through the bowl of chowder trying to find some chorizo. You don't have to <laughs> put it in, but it's... Um, yes. I find it's it's a really good meal that's done in 10 minutes. And it's the important thing of getting that fish because a lot of people don't really like eating fish. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's um, a really tasty dish that you can do. But maybe if you don't like fish, the other thing I might suggest would be um, if you cook up chicken with mustard and mushrooms. So what I do is I chop up mixed mushrooms and I would cook, put them in a dry pan until they mm-hmm. get a bit nutty. And then I would add in some chopped uh, chicken breast free range minimum, um, red onions and stir fry for a couple of minutes and then put in a bit of cream and a teaspoon of mustard, whole grain mustard per person and leave that simmer for, you know, about eight minutes. And that's a really, really nice, tasty, quick dinner. Wow. And would you pair that with um, spuds or greens or pasta? I tend to do a brown basmati rice is what I tend to do that with. And then I do steamed courgette so that you're getting your, your veg as well. It's funny how your taste buds change as you get older. I'm sure that the listeners might resonate with this, but I hated mustard as a child, like would pick it out of anything that it existed in and now think it's delicious. It's very strange how your taste buds change like that. Well, I used um, to never eat eggs. I hated eggs and the consistency of eggs. Wow. I still would not eat a poached or a fried egg, but I'll happily eat an omelette or a frittata or something like that because I know how good and I enjoy those. I know how mm. good they are for me, but um, definitely not an eggnog, a scrambled egg or, or a poached egg I wouldn't eat, but oh. over the years have changed. And do you have a favourite snack then as the last one? Toasted seeds, definitely. Okay. So uh, okay. I do activated toasted seeds. So um, seeds naturally have a phytic acid to prevent them from germinating before they're ready. So mm-hmm. it, can make, it can make it a little bit more difficult for us to get the nutrients from the seeds. So um, in this, I activate the seeds. So you might see acti nuts or acti Yeah, seeds. I've seen yeah. acti snack, yeah. So what happens with those is you soak them and you rinse off the phytic acid and then you dry them back out again. You don't want to toast them too much because then the oils will break down and the nutrients will start to break down. But you want to dry it out so that it's got a nice flavor and crunch. So with the seeds, it's really easy. It's only for an hour that you need to soak them, whereas nuts, it can be a lot longer and it's very long to dry them back out. But seeds are, are manageable in a domestic kitchen. Um, so I would soak sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds and then I would rinse them. Then I put them on a tray in the oven about 180 degrees for about 10 minutes. And then when they're ready, I tend to sprinkle them with a little bit of, um, I don't know if you're used to it, but or familiar with it, Bragg Liquid Aminos. So Bragg okay. is a brand and it's it's called Liquid Aminos and you'll get it in a health food section of a supermarket or in a health food shop. And basically, mm. it's the protein of the soybeans and water. Okay. That's all it is. 
but it's really gives a really nice tasty savory uh, flavor to them and I put that into my dal and into stir fries lots of different things be healthier say than a soy sauce and then those seeds will keep in a jar for a couple of weeks so you can have them you know in the car at your desk in your sports bag whatever it might be and then you're getting a, a handful of really tasty brain healthy uh, seeds so that'd be wow. my absolutely fantastic that is very helpful thank you so much i'm sure everyone is feeling hopefully inspired to give a couple of those recipes a go and happily they're all on your website which is i just think that's really helpful to link the two because it's all well and good we all go to a restaurant the odd time when we say that was amazing oh i must try and recreate that but then we forget you know and when you i think the great thing about blogs and uh sharing recipes and the way you have videos too is that it just breaks it down and makes it seem a bit easier, particularly after listening to someone talk about food. I'm sure everyone like us is probably hungry. Um, so the, yeah, the final area I just wanted to briefly ask you about, Fiona, was the, I know you've you've kind of moved into doing fermentation workshops. And I think that obviously we know good health is a very topical area, uh, aspect, or sorry, topical topic at the moment. It's very nuanced, very new area of research. And as I chatted about with dietitian Maeve Hannon on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, we do need a food first approach, obviously get more of the Irish population eating enough dietary fiber, lots of fruits, vegetables and things. Um, but there is a lot of chat about fermented foods. And I know you do cookery demos to kind of show people how to do um, fermented recipes. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so it, it's actually a very old tradition and it goes back thousands of years in, in different cultures, but it's only... Mm come back here you know lately for example when I did the Ballymaloo course 20 something years ago it wasn't on the curriculum and okay. my home economics degree it wasn't on the curriculum whereas now it is mm. because it's you know but each country has their own tradition I think ours probably would have been like a buttermilk type of um, product okay. but if you go to Korea there's kimchi um, you've got sauerkraut in Eastern Europe You've got sourdough bread, all sorts of different things. But really what the fermentation is, it's nature's probiotics. That's what you need to think of the fermentation as. Okay. Um, and the thing is, it's very, very easy to make at home once someone shows you. And also, it's better to make it at home than to buy it. Because if you buy, say, for example, a milk kefir, um, so you would buy that, you could buy it in a supermarket or in a health food shop in the refrigerator section. That's had to travel from wherever it was produced to there. It's got to go through certain heat treatments, etc. It's probably mm. not going to have as much nutritional benefit as if you were to make it yourself because you consume it within two to three days if you make it yourself. Whereas okay. that's probably, that's got to have a longer shelf life. Um, the same thing with sauerkraut. Sometimes you can buy it and it's been pasteurized. So the probiotics don't survive the heat. Sure. Right. And we say, I should suppose it's worth saying in case anyone's unsure, probiotics being beneficial bacteria for our gut and prebiotics in case anyone has heard of those being or almost like the fertilizer for our good bacteria or foods that our, our good bacteria thrive upon just to clarify that for the listeners in case it's unclear no that's perfect and I also just to be aware I come at it from a home economics so it's practical aspect of it so I'm not a nutritional therapist um, but I'm showing people the obviously I go through some of the information and work with nutritional therapists, but it's all about the home practice of what type of environment works well, what type of equipment you need to do, how it works, etc. So that's the angle yeah. that I approach it for the demonstrations. Mm -hmm. And do you have particular favorite recipes, uh, maybe one or two favorites that you um, use fermentation process for? Yeah, so the uh, sourdough is is just fantastic. I love it. Three ingredients, flour, water and salt, and that, that's all that's in it. Um, mm. 
but the best, I think the most potent one and probably one of the easiest ones to begin with would be milk kefir. So it's, okay. it's like yogurt. Um, and I make that from um, whole organic milk. And mm -hmm. you put these little, they're called grains, but they're these little clusters of bacteria that you would put it in. And then you would cover it with muslin and leave it in a, a warm place in your house for about 24 hours. And afterwards you strain it and you have this beautiful yogurt-like, slightly sharp, uh, product and then you go again with the milk so it's a very cyclical process so it takes about three or four minutes every day where I strain it feed it again put it away next day strain it and that's what I would put I would have um, on my muesli or my nut porridge or in a smoothie mm. or I make um, instant ice cream or ice pops lots of different things that you can do with it so you're getting the uh, probiotics and, and the kids love it and it really makes such a difference there's so many different stories of benefits but it really does make such a difference to your whole uh, gut health interesting thank you I thought that was just really interesting little um this was a, a topic I know you've you've done uh, several demonstrations on it now and it is probably a bit of a buzzword at the moment and I'm really kind of glad you've come at it from that practical perspective because it just you've explained it very well I think it's really important and it can I suppose seem like it's it's very exotic concept but as you say it has been around for a very long time it's just very new in Ireland um so Fiona I suppose the last thing I wanted to ask you was um every time I have a guest on the podcast I like to ask them to give one tip to the listeners that might help them add a bit of an Irish balance to their life and obviously we've spent the last um the last few minutes last while talking about ways to make cooking easier um, and simplify the process a bit but I wonder if you have a particular if you had to pick one tip from from all of your experience to date um, to help the listeners get a bit of more of a balance with their cooking or maybe make cooking seem a bit easier or one thing they could try maybe I would try one new dish a week so that you're not because yeah. people can be overwhelmed if you get a cookbook and you're trying loads of different things and it all just mm. becomes too much but I would say try one new recipe a week and that's uh, brilliant go yeah. from there absolutely I think I totally agree that's one thing I'm really trying to build up myself at the moment because I'm moving out flying the nest of my home um in the summer but I really want to have five or six things that I'm quite comfortable in and that I'm trying a new one every single week and that by the time I get to July when I move they'll seem like gold hat. Um, but I think you can, you're so right. You can feel completely overwhelmed when someone gives you a cookbook and think, oh, that looks amazing, but I could never do it. But giving one a go every week definitely makes it a lot more feasible. Yeah. Thank you so much, Fiona, for coming on the Irish Balance podcast. I would love you to let people know where to find you um, and any upcoming uh, events that you have or demonstrations you'd like to bring the listeners' attention to. Great. Thanks, Kira. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, yeah, my website is fionasfoodforlife.ie. And on that, you can find loads of free recipes. Um, and mm. then there's a schedule of the upcoming demos. I suppose it gets quiet during the summer, but two that I have coming up soon. One is there's a fermentation demo where I make the uh, the kef milk kefir, water kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi, labneh cheesecake, the whole lot um, in the one session. So that's coming up on Monday, the 10th of June. Fantastic. And then I do a barbecue night on Tuesday, the 18th of June, which is two days after Father's Day. So it's usually a Brilliant. good idea as a present for Father's Day. Mm. Um, and they're both in my kitchen in uh, Dublin 18. But if you can't come to a demo, you can check out um, I have new content coming on my YouTube channel every week. So on a Tuesday, I do a very short video about a kitchen skill. So it might be 
how to tell if an egg is fresh, how to mm. chop an onion, how to uh, tell if an avocado is fresh and how to, or ripe, I should say, and, and how to cut it, those type of things, how mm. to make pastry. Um, and then on Thursdays, I release recipes like how to make uh, sushi or dal or the chowder or lots of different power bars, all sorts of different things um, there. So the YouTube channel is Fiona's Food for Life, Cook, Eat, Nourish. Fantastic. And uh, on Instagram and Twitter, Fiona's Food for Life. Makes it very easy to find you, Fiona. Yeah, thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. It was brilliant to have you on. And I do hope we have given the listeners some inspiration to try something new, to check out the recipes on your website and maybe taken a little bit of the fear and the, the chore feeling out of cooking for today and hopefully going forward. So thank you so much, guys, for listening. We would love to hear your feedback on this podcast. And of course, if you do try any of the recipes we've talked about, um, do give us a tag you know where to find me I'm at the Irish Balance and Fiona's already told you where to find her so do let us know we'd love to hear your feedback and uh, yeah I'll see you guys for next week's episode so bye